you know, a lot of stress and work can be a very dividing thing with people. But if we choose not to be divided by it and come together in the face of it, you can emerge more resilient. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Let's dig. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the FedEx Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and the veterinary technician manager turned practice management consultant I have the exciting chance to talk to today is Bash Howell. He is an experimenter. He is a frequent dreamer. He is a big thinker. We sort of talk about everything here, so if you need actionable advice right now, go to bashhallow.com and search for civility, or go take the Science of Wellbeing course at Coursera.org. But if you want to hear two guys talk about too many topics to list in under an hour, well, you've been warned. Okay, so yes, I didn't have an idea for this, but I think you did, and it was hilarious, and I had to stop and start record, so okay, sorry, interrupted you. (laughs) My thing is, I want to know you know, how you're doing these days. Are you nervous? Are you apprehensive about the economy? Are you unpopular? Well, are you? Well, are you? I mean, (laughs) where is your head at? And I promise your honor, I have a point. I'm taking this conversation somewhere. But how are you feeling as a consumer, as a veterinary professional, albeit sort of, you know, tangential to day-to-day practice work, but you're still in the industry. How are you feeling? My lack is I'm not a veterinary professional, so I can't speak. And so I'm like, I'm curious to see. So when you trot out to the world and bounce around, what kind of answers you're getting about this? This veers close to, but I think it's different than what I've interviewed the last few years. Everybody's talked about work-life balance emotional care. And then, but this was all pre-pandemic. And I feel like where you're going might be touching on the crap storm of a life that we've all been in for the last 18 months or so. That is true. And not just, oh my God, we're so busy. I mean, I'm talking about your overall mental well-being because there's a lot of data to back this up, but people are very apprehensive. And interestingly enough, It's in the Western countries where, you know, one would think that we would be most insulated from terrible things happening to us, where people are most apprehensive. Like if you look at, I was just reading in the Financial Times, I think there was a graph in the Financial Times today, that they were talking about young people, how despondent they've grown over the past 18 months, and also how little faith they have in government over the past 18 months. And that sentiment runs highest in like the UK, the United States, France, Germany, all the places where you would think that, you know, if you're in troubled times, you know, that at least democracy and capitalism would have a light that would lead us forward. But these are the countries where people are most despondent. And so I, you know, I bring it up because I feel like it's so easy to allow one's imagination and worry to allow that sort of thing to run away on its own. You know, so how does one sort of check in and decide, do we jump? (laughs) Do we jump or not? Where are we in our lives right now? And is this a time for opportunity? Should I put on my optimism hat or should I put on my pessimism hat? 
And, you know, so I, I guess I kind of waffle every day. I get up, I read more headlines and I waffle between those two <laughs> ideas about whether or not it's sane for me to have an optimistic look on life or whether that's insane, I should have a more pessimistic view. And then this is the last thing I'll say. I mean, people are absolutely apocalyptic at this point. You don't have conversations with people that talk about what's the best investment. <laughs> people talk about the rapture. They talk about the end of the world, Brendan. I mean, every time that this has happened historically, it's never been good when societies start worshiping the golden calf, when they ex are expecting, you know, God to come, descend down and walk around on earth. Those are never signs of good times. <laughs> Those tend to be people who are really beside themselves with worry and upheaval. And it seems like uh, there's a lot of sentiment these days. I see, I said that was the last thing I was going to talk about, but have you heard about this growing trend of young people gravitating towards witchcraft? Have you heard about that? I have not heard about that. Tell me more. On TikTok, there are influencers who are practicing witchcraft. Oh, I have and seen they these have people. like yes. a billion hits. A billion hits. I mean, people are, we are one step away from, you know, wearing like a little packet of herbs around our neck. Forget about going to the vet. We're going to be getting like an herbal <laughs> to put around our dog's <laughs> neck and cat and a little incantation to recite over it. <laughs> it's nuts. Anyway, so that's my spiel. Okay, so I think I am very much feeling the reflection of what you're talking about in the world out there. Just yesterday, I was ranting at the top of my lungs. I'm almost embarrassed about it, but then the person I was ranting to was not, did tell me you don't have anything to apologize about, but so furious at how people are operating from anger, fear, and judgment and shame. These are the emotions they are consumed by. This is the behavior they're expressing to the world out there. And I think the problem is, what they're getting from the world, they are getting anger from the world. So they're getting it from the internet. They're getting it from the people in the store, or at least they feel like they are. They're getting fear everywhere. So putting masks on and being afraid of a virus, that is clearly going to do something to everyone's psychology and personalities that are already teetering toward or, or are most inclined to be fearful become more fearful. And personalities that are inclined to be rebellious become more rebellious. And everyone starts... They do that thing. They talk about your personality when you're acting out or your personality when you're under stress. I feel like that's what a majority of people might be doing right now. And clearly that's not going to be healthy or good for all of us. If, if a majority or a large enough minority are acting out their personalities under stress. That's well, I think that's well put. And, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, I, when I see the anger, I really just see fear. So, you know, I agree that there's a lot of anger that's being expressed, but yeah. I really just think those are terribly fearful people, the more rabid they are. And, yeah. you know, to their credit, the world is catapulting headlong, you know, into the future, and none of us really understand anything about it. You know, if ever there was a time to be trepidatious about what may come, it is today because technology and the world in general are really racing forward. And the rest of us are desperate to try to keep up, really being outpaced by all of the changes. We don't understand what's happening with technology. We don't understand whether we don't, and we have no systems in place to manage all the changes that are about to happen to us. You know, I've been reading recently about 
the quantitative easing that's been happening in the world. Do you, have you been reading about the quantitative easing that the United States has been doing to kind of to help give the economy a jolt of cash? So I know I have heard that we are we're sort of we're churning out dollars and lots of economists support that idea in certain moments and some don't. Well, people need to look into it more. I'm not sure that that's going to illuminate the process that much more for you. But I mean, I'll tell you what I think it is. The whole point of the quantitative easing is that we've entered a time in the economy when I think even the experts are scratching their head and asking themselves, I don't know, is this a good idea? I hope so. Let's go ahead and press forward. And I think that some could argue that we've gone so far down the road of quantitative easing that there's no way out of it. So quantitative easing, as far as that I understand, is the government buying back its own debt. And so banks are, you know, have okay. some investment in treasury notes and, and U.S. government, other U.S. government bonds. And the government, in order to free up that cash agrees to buy back its own debt, which, I mean, wrap your head around that, agrees to buy back its own debt and then magically makes the cash for that debt appear in the banks, which allows them to have more cash so that they can loan out, which presumably, you know, gives a a jolt of energy to the economy. But, you know, you start reading about like, what? You know, and, and every other country aside from the United States that's tried to pull that, maybe Great Britain is another exception, you know, it's typically a last ditch effort for an economy to kind of save itself. But the United States is in a unique position in that the treasury note is kind of like the global gold. And there is no other safer place probably to invest your money. So as long as that's true, you could argue, well, why not? Let's run up the debt. People will still buy it because it's better than nothing. It's a better place. It's a better warehouse for your cash than any other place uh, that you're going to get in the world. So why not? And then, I mean, the only other thing that you would think about is, well, what about digital currency? Would that be a safe haven? Could that overtake the U.S. economy? And that's another thing that is like, it's racing forward before people really have any understanding of what kind of an impact it's going to have. Some of the digital currency that they're developing now that will allow investors to buy and sell other digital currency like bitcoins at a faster rate is kind of like a Ponzi scheme. I mean, it's purportedly backed by U.S. dollars, but <laughs> about 25 to 35 percent of it, is my understanding, is backed by debt. So, again, there's a liquidity issue. Like if people decided to cash in or really um, question the value of their digital currency, the value is not there. Or at least some of it's not there because it's debt. So anyway, so I guess that whole long-winded speech is, you know, geez Louise, no wonder people are having a, you know, making a double, I'll have a double, Sammy. No wonder people are like, you know, having an extra drink and an extra toke pot at night because it's at this point incomprehensible about how our world works. I think about this and then I wonder, so one response to what you're talking about is people get a a true feel for what you're talking about where they think, holy crap, the world is too big for me to wrap my head around it. And then forget that. When I look at the leaders or the smartest people in the world, they are also trying to wrap their head around this. So clearly I can't. I am going to retreat into where they were going to retreat into. They're going to retreat into 
something that feels graspable. Superstition, astrology, I'm not saying astrology is nonsense, witchcraft, crystals, nice smells, walks in the park, uh, their dog and cat, their regular job, their coworkers, and they're going to abandon the big picture. I don't know what to do about it. So that's one response. And I think that's probably in some cases a healthy response. And in other case, it's a fleeing. But I'm not sure what the new response, given the fact that I don't think anybody can foresee precisely the complex situation that the entire world might be in about these things, what the individual, I don't know. When I do podcasts like this, I think about what is the person on the ground exactly as you started it? How do you feel? Well, if they feel afraid or out of touch, I mean, you're really kind of confirming. If you go look at the world, you're like, "Mm -hmm." the leaders are kind of out of, they're worried too, and everybody's worried. And what do we do with that? What do you do when the whole world's worried? Do you run away and kind of get your hands back in the dirt and calm yourself down and And is that running away or is that just kind of putting yourself in a place where you're an agent again and you have power? You feel like you have no power in the big picture. Well, you know, there was a a cool thing that came out of Yale during the pandemic. There was an associate professor. Her name was Dr. Lori Santos. And she teaches this course called The Science of Well-Being. And it was one of the most popular courses at Yale. And the course is a science-based look at the value of experiencing trauma and working one's way through that by making healthy choices so that you emerge on the other side more resilient. And one of the things that she talks about in that course, which by the way, is called the science of well-being and it's available to anybody free. And I highly recommend it. It's fabulous. It has like these little short video clips that are digestible these little things that you can read that are digestible. It's truly lovely. And I I did it by myself, but I would imagine it would be a wonderful group experience for people to do. But that said, one of the things that she talks about is reaching out towards friends and family, and most importantly, I think in our world, coworkers, for healthy support through this time. And I don't mean that to be cloying. I hope that doesn't sound cloying, or I hope that doesn't sound like the thing that you're supposed to say during a podcast on in veterinary medicine. But it really is true. We have choices at work. You know, when it's this stressful, it can be, you know, a lot of stress and work can be a very dividing thing with people. But if we choose not to be divided by it and come together in the face of it, you can emerge more resilient. So to your other question, well, what's the point, Hallow, if the world's going to end? You know, I, I mean, I don't have an answer to that. I don't have an answer to that. You know, so I don't know. It might, at least, at least I can guarantee you, if you choose that, you won't be so miserable leading up to the big ball of fire, the sky. <laughs> you'll have that, you'll have that, you'll have had a happier life living up to the great big ball of fire in the sky or Jesus descending with his heavenly host. I mean, you know, you'll, you'll live it up a little bit. You know, there are lots of historical examples of people being thrown into a horrible kettle of fish, so to speak, or for lack of a better word, and emerging, you know, victorious. When you think about all yeah. those robber barons that came out of the, you know, the early 20th century, all of them, you know, spun gold out of straw. Lots of wonderful people got rich and um, <laughs> were successful during one of the bloodiest times in American history, the Civil War. So... I'm not asking you to take advantage of a bad situation, but, you know, again, here I am uh, waffling between these two ideas. Should I look at these times as a pessimist or as an optimist? 
And certainly I feel like all of this change has to present some new opportunities for practice owners, veterinary professionals, and people in general. I mean, it's got to. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. The question is always, is it given how little we either think we know or given how little we actually do know, how do you decide one foot in front of the other to make a, a what feels like a significant or scary change? And I'm not sure what that looked look like. Do you Thinking about your average veterinary practice, is there the kind of change you would think if you walked in and the, and the boss sat you down in a room and said, Bash, you know, I got some ideas. I just don't know. I feel like this practice is ready for some sort of quantum leap or the business is going to change in some big way. You know, should we take this big leap? I mean, do people ask you about the big leap or do they usually come in and tell you, we'll just fix this little problem or I already know what I want to do. If somebody asked you, should I take the quantum leap and what should it be? I mean, do you already have an answer? Like, what do you think veterinary practices? Well, uh, you know, they don't have to ask whether or not they should take a leap. They were already pushed over the ledge. (laughs) They didn't have a choice. (laughs) And and therein lies the beauty of it. I mean, you know, I've been asking people to adopt some changes for years now. And the pandemic is the thing that pushed them over the edge. They had no other reason. I mean, they didn't change because they were valiant. They sort of changed because they were just beaten down and they had no more fight left in them. They just, they just acquiesced to change <laughs> because they got pummeled. So, and it's been great. I mean, uh, think yeah. about, you know, all kinds of, we've had this tremendous upheaval in our world, but I think a lot, even the most pessimistic would be hard pressed to deny that it hasn't been a tremendous learning experience. I mean, look how much, I mean, a lot of uh, companies emerged, you know, worse for the wear and tear, certainly after the 18 months, but richer than they've ever been. I mean, the higher profit margins than they've ever yeah. been, higher growth than they've ever had. So while that was a very tiring experience, I mean, a lot of people got the wind completely knocked out of them. They, I think they can't deny that they learned that they could function with far less or they could function with hacks that they never thought possible before. Do you see that I can see a sort of um, a conservative, not capital C, but small C 
wanting to return to the old way of doing things. And in fact, there seems like there's a push and pull you can see in the American economy about the work from home issues or about things, these hacks you're talking about. I think certain people, to them, it felt temporary. This pandemic is going to be over, and then I won't have to use this thing anymore. I won't have to do whatever the stuff happens to be, curbside, telehealth, whatever the changes were that maybe cropped up. I won't have to do that anymore because this is a temporary thing. It'll be over, and it wasn't. They didn't sort of think, they didn't have the experience, this was great, I want to keep doing it. Because maybe they were so stressed, as you said, they were pushed into doing this hack because they had to, but maybe they haven't had time or they haven't taken the time to reflect on whether it was felt, quote unquote, good or bad, or whether it was a good change for the long term or not. How do you think that shakes out? Do you think people pull back to what they were doing before? Or do you think people have gone over the ledge and now they've seen the light? My B, final answer. They're not. Okay. (laughs) No one tried this junk and then decided, oh, Christ, I hate it. They might have had a learning curve issue. But everybody has everybody has seen gay curry okay. and they're not going back to the farm. They're not. <laughs> I haven't met those individuals that are interested in going back in time. And I would say that it is upsetting because so much has changed. You know, I live in New York and um, the change that's happened there has been really dramatic. And, you know, people, you know, God bless my artsy friends, but Broadway ain't coming back gang. It's just not. Neither are the big movie things. Nobody's going to do that. Fancy dining is not coming back. It's a whole, we just got thrust forward. No one's going to sit shoulder to shoulder in a 1200 seat theater and listen to somebody cough next to them for three hours and watch somebody tap dancing. It's just not going to happen. No one is going to say, let's move back to New York City. For what? For what? Another CVS? Another Target? Another Applebee's? You can get that anywhere in the world. You don't need to go to Wall Street anymore to trade stocks. The robots are trading stocks. You can, do, you can watch your ticker tape from Southampton where there's a beach and sky and sun. You don't have to go to the garment district anymore. You don't have to go to the diamond district anymore. You certainly don't have to go to Broadway or any of the other venues that at once that made a case for a city like New York City. I mean, green, green, green. There's nothing green about New York City. If you want to move in a green direction, you certainly don't want to move to New York. (laughs) So I just think, you know, let it go, folks. Okay. Let it go. Look at the landscape. You know, decide whether or not there's opportunities there. There, I see that optimistic person in me keeps surfacing again. I wish to Christ I'd get that guy down. So annoying. There is a splitting of the workforce in the last 18 months where I was fascinated to watch the lockdown happen because I listened to some podcasts a few months in by frustrated public health and economist people who are like, The idea somehow that this is a lockdown is total nonsense. All the people who can stay home are. All these quote unquote essential workers, people paid minimum wage or a little better, are all out there busting their humps during the pandemic so we can all be locked down and we're all locked down. So when you talk about 
people not going back to Broadway either to partake or do their art there, or people not going back to Broadway to do their office there. That seems to me like a privileged minority of the workforce. And the veterinarians and the veterinary technicians don't have that privilege. They must work in a place embodied with people around them. They can't take it to the Hamptons. They can't do their thing at a distance. It has to be done in person. So do you think about that? How it seems like one workforce says, hey, I can do this from anywhere. And this other much larger workforce is like, you guys need still need these products and services. These don't get done, quote unquote, anywhere. They have to be done in a place with people. So I think that, you know, there are some of these workers that are, you know, the, the workforce, I think, you know, when you look at the long-term forecasts and hedging of the major companies with it, they're kind of hedging towards a much slower economy in 2022 and 2023. And I think, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure I understand why they're doing that, but my sense is they feel that the labor force is going to contract. And come on, if the world is demanding $15 an hour, are you really going to create a McDonald's that helps train people to better stand in front of a terminal with pictures of lattes and French fries and Big Macs to listen to my order and then press a picture on a screen? No, you're not going to do that. You're going to eliminate that role and put kiosks in your McDonald's so all of us can press the damn icons on the screen. We're all capable of that. We don't need that little person. You know when you go to the right. airport and you get a pack of gum and there's that person standing behind the thing and they hold up an infrared scanner and they go, yes. <laughs> they, don't even, they don't even have to count money. They just have to wake up in the morning, somehow manage to find their way to the airport, <laughs> find a way to hold up that scanner, go bloop, and collect their $15 an hour. Not happening. That's all going away. So I want to say that about the labor force. But as far as veterinary medicine, you know, I think, too, there's a strong case that can be made that we have been throwing an unnecessary amount of people at a job that now can be managed a lot yeah. by technology. So do I really need to have a receptionist come to my office? No, I don't. Not if I have a great uh, internet connection and I've got other technology tools in place so that that receptionist can do a lot of that work from home. I mean, come on, their heads are in the computer. I'm not faulting them. A lot of their work is on the computer. They don't need to be in that lobby sure. where they're being distracted 24-7 to do that work. I think that telemedicine, I know that people are sick of me talking about telemedicine, but I'm telling you telemedicine is an excellent convenience. <laughs> it's an excellent convenience. It's not going away. And there are more veterinarians that are following up with cases, not examining patients or these aren't, you know, it's not a primary way of doing your work, but there are lots of follow-ups and check-ins with clients that can be done telemedicine, and that can be done from anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country. So I disagree that all of that work has to be done in that brick-and-mortar space. I think increasingly more of that work can be done remotely, as we've all learned that it can over the past 18 months, and I'm all for it. I think it's great. I think people are going to enjoy their lives more. I think it opens up the labor market more. Think about it if you had a vet that was on staff that could do some, and you decide what that's going to be, telemedicine calls. That person could live anywhere in your state. Anywhere in your state suddenly opens up a whole new pool of applicants. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. 
It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.